Welcome to Alessia's Divine Comedy, a journey through Dante's masterpiece, a read-along podcast hosted by me, Alessia Cesana Harris. This episode 55, Purgatorio, Canto Ventunesimo, the fifth day, late morning. It's a rainy day and my voice is threatening to disappear with the cold I seem to have caught without actually leaving the house. So apologies if this episode is subpar. I mean, not that I have high expectations of the quality of the episodes when I'm feeling great, but at least I hope I entertain you for 10 minutes of your day with my bizarre sense of humour and my thoughts about this inspiring poem. The good news is that our curiosity about the earthquake was satisfied in this canto, I'm very sympathetic to Dante and his need-to-know things, but I'm not as holy, since he is satisfied that divine revelation quenches that thirst, while if it was an episode of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, I'd be singing a remake of the Backstreet Boys' I Want It That Way, to Jesus asking why about everything. Although white cargo pants are something I'd rather bury in that part of the brain that stores traumatic memories, like everything else we wore in the early 2000s. Dante moves from the Samaritan woman at the well to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, in a surprising turn of events since I'm used to his classical references. It may also have some people clutching their pearls, since it puts someone who will turn out to be the Roman poet Statius in the role of Jesus. He'll be the one who explains to the travellers that the earthquake meant that a soul had finished their purification and was ready to get admitted to the Garden of Eden. It was the very soul that caused the earthquake, after 500 years in the fourth terrace. It is only then that Virgil will ask him who he is. Statius tells us he was alive at the time of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which was in 70 AD. Like Dante, Statius had Virgil as an inspiration in his poetry, which was also in the epic genre. Not only that, but he credits one of Virgil's works for his secret conversion, and the fact he kept it under the radar for pure persecution was the reason why he was in purgatory for such a long time. He also stresses, in line with the mystic theology, that the purgation is voluntary. I quote from the Dante Lab. In purgatory, the conditional will does not elect the lesser good, but instead desires to repent its former movement in that direction. This is a quote-unquote rule of purgatory that has no precedent in Christian lore, since Dante's purgatory is so much his own invention. Nonetheless, it makes intuitive sense. It is thus that the poet suggests that his reader understand why a penitent, while naturally desiring to seize the act of penance, simultaneously feels a still stronger encountering desire to complete it, as is made clear here. Desire represents the conditional will, as it did in Inferno Canto Quinto, verse 39, where the desire of the last fall is described as running counter to reason, while the will referred to is here is the absolute will which always seeks the good alone. With the insight of a further 700 years of theological discourse, we know that the goal of the spiritual life is to conform our will to God's will, so it is true simultaneously that God willed the souls spend time there through divine justice, which was the language used by one of the souls we saw lately, but I can't remember who it was off the top of my head, 
and that the souls are there freely. Now, the presence of statues itself is significant for more reasons than just that. The conversion to Christianity is almost certainly Dante's invention, so that he could use the poets in a way that he couldn't the other poets that he left behind, of whom only Lucan is a contemporary statues. They were both popular in Dante's time, and I'm not entirely sure why statue was the one Christianized. At the end of the day, what Dante is doing here is an apology of poetry. So, unless I am missing some details about Lucan's life, that made it harder to confess a secret conversion than the other poet, any poet would have fitted the bill. This whole canto is written in a high register and revolves around the three poets being poets, and poetry's capacity to raise humanity to a higher state, both civic and spiritual. It's highly amusing in the few verses when Statius praises Virgil without realising that the man himself is standing there. And Virgil says nothing, and it'd be Dante who can't help himself from smiling who gave it away. Statius is so excited he will attempt to hug the feet of the poet, who is only a shadow so it won't be possible. And the canto ends with Statius saying he was so excited he forgot the source can to die. It's an endearing scene. Especially since his love of Virgil was actually proven through the poet's own words in this debate. This is a bit of a strange passage though, because it's all about an earthly attachment that is supposedly purified while it's in purgatory. But it's so strong that he says it that gladly spent longer there for the chance to leave at the time of Virgil, presumably as that would have made possible to meet him. Either Dante forgot or disregarded his own rules. Uh, he's trying to make a point about something. I'm not sure what it might be. Perhaps the inspiration to conversion is a roundabout way in which attachment to the poem is a good, since he was unaware as an instrument of God's providence, saving a soul that otherwise would have been with him in the limbo. It's quite ironic though that the very person who wrote that work that converted someone was unaware of the message. Another interesting aspect about this canto for me has to do with the geography of Mount Purgatory, which is on Earth but not subject to any of the meteorological phenomena that happen in the other hemisphere. I haven't found much on the subject in the usual commentaries, so I assume everyone just took it to be just Dante's invention in order to connect all of the earthquakes to the one that happened when Jesus died, but I'm left wondering why putting Mount Purgatory on Earth if it's not a part of it. I mean, the explanation is I came from the soil moved by the fall of Lucifer, blah blah. And then we have Eden at the top. But if one reads Genesis, then it's quite obvious that Eden was meant to have the weather of the earth, at least to an extent. In Genesis 1-7, we are told that God separated the waters to above and below the firmament, which was, as the name suggests, a solid dome. And early Christian commentaries saw the rainfall as coming from a system akin to like a cistern waiting to let, like, water out. So for the month to be always sunny it's a supernatural act that changed what we know of creation, which I would think is quite significant. Maybe it's just me geeking out about things that nobody else finds interesting. It's true that it seems to take its physics from Aristotle rather than other sources, so perhaps that's why. Contrary to my expectations we hear nothing further from about greed. Although I guess we could see that as significant uh, that the meeting with a purified soul going upwards happened in that terrace. 
it can be seen as a reminder of God's own generosity that we get to be saved in the first place. And on this note, I'll end the episode. Not only because I don't think there is more to say, but I have no appetite for breakfast and I'm now getting quite hungry, so I'd leave it until tomorrow anyway, since Statius is here to stay. Ciao! Thank you for listening to today's episode of Alessia's Divine Comedy, A Journey Through Dante's Masterpiece. Thank you also to Alexander Nakarada for the music, which is fun for 10 or adds if it was not meant as a Roman numeral, and is available in the public domain. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Alessia underscore Sheik or on my blog www.sheikandcatholic.com.